What is up? What is going on, everybody? This week, the three of us are going to try to crack the code. We'll do it after the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of The Three Cool. As always, I am one of your three co-hosts, Ethan Klein. Here with me, Brad Miller and Mike Duranic. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? I'm uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, getting a little bit later start, but maybe that's what's in the cards for us tonight. So I am uh, I'm good with that. I am I'm doing great. Uh, I think the movie that we're going to talk about tonight, there is there's plenty to talk about. I'm really excited to hear what you guys think about this summer blockbuster. So I'm excited to just dive right on in. So this week we are talking the Da Vinci Code. It came out in May of 2006. So Mike, you're right on it. We're right in the middle of the summer blockbuster season. Uh, this being a pretty big release, uh, mostly due to the popularity of the book series. Um, I know that this series of books has a massive following, uh, and a lot of people were excited that it was getting the film treatment, and that was before uh, all of the people that were going to be involved in the movie uh, took it even to another level. So let's turn the clocks back to 2006, gentlemen. And I'll ask you, as I always do, what was your first experience with the Da Vinci Code? Did you see it in theaters in 2006? Um, Mike, I know you're a pretty avid reader. I don't know if you were into these books and that took you right into the theater. Um, was this uh, later viewing for you guys? Where? What was your first experience with Da Vinci Code? Uh, so mine was a bit of a surprise answer because I believe while I was watching it that that was the first time I've seen that movie. Um, if it was not the first time I've seen that movie, I completely erased it from my brain. Um, I picked it because I think that I thought it was Angels and Demons um, or whatever the name of the sequel is. Um, and watching it, I was like, none of this. Uh, I don't remember any of this. So uh, I got to enjoy it, I believe, for the first time. Mike, I'm just, chuck- I'm just chuckling here. I did because that's just bizarre that that you would get those two confused. Although I guess I could understand it, but this I think is the more well known of the two. So what you're saying is you saw Angels and Demons first, but never actually backtracked to see this one. Is that right? I believe that that is a factual statement. Yes. Okay. Very good. So for me, uh, Ethan, I did, and I can't remember why I ended up reading this book prior to the movie but i did somebody had to have recommended it to me um and and dan brown's novels although i, I found some of the later ones convoluted uh, to the point where i couldn't get into them um but they tend to be in that genre of, of literature that i like to consider like mental floss right you know it's just fun you can read it you can read it quick it kind of activates your brain but um it's not like deep thinking right you can fly through the book uh, and so I did enjoy the book. I found it to be pretty engaging and, and I flew through it. And so I did go see this in the theater uh, fairly soon after it was released um, because I, I was a big enough fan of the book that I wanted to go see it. And uh, and I was excited that they were making an adaptation of it. Mike, so convoluted is a $12 word. And if you remember uh, when Ethan set the rules for this podcast, he said nothing higher than a $9 word. So 
uh, convoluted might uh, might have to be toned down a little bit. I'll I'll pay the three dollar fine. That's fair. <laughs> uh, I'll tell something that is really crazy um, from my first experience with this movie. It is not dissimilar to yours, Brad. I saw Angels and Demons before I saw Da Vinci Code. Um, I caught Angels and Demons just on TV after its original release. Um, you know, I, I'm not much of a reader. I have the ability. Sometimes I just choose not to use it. Um, so I, I wasn't a fan of the books. I didn't see this in 2006 in the theaters. Um, wasn't anything that my parents watched. Caught Angels and Demons, enjoyed it, went back a pretty substantial amount of time later. It was just probably four or five years ago that I saw this for the first time. Uh, going into this rewatch, I will say off the bat, um, I would not have been disappointed if Brad would have picked the movie he thought it was. Uh, I, I think I would lean a little more towards Angels and Demons than I would this, but we'll get into that. Um, and the way that we'll get into it, simply right off the bat, is we're going to play the Rotten Tomatoes game. Our defending champion, I'm not even going to put a number on it because it's so high at this point. Um, Mike, you have been on a run. Uh, you're going to have to face Brad this week. Uh, you did not hit backdraft on the head, but you did do well enough to advance into this week. So you kick us off, Mike. What's the sitting Rotten Tomatoes score for the Da Vinci Code? Now, with all that with all that lead in, Ethan, um, I really want to hit this one on the head again. Because, uh, I mean, I think, what have I won? Like 17 straight weeks, 18? Something like that. Something like that. Since the inception of the game. Um, all right. Uh, enough stalling. I'm going to go with uh, a, I, I don't recall this being super well received, so I'm going to go fairly low. Uh, I'm going to go with a 65. Okay. Brad? Uh, I'm definitely going for the snipe because I need to knock Mike off his throne, especially for that uh, that flex he just put out there with the 17 or 18 straight victories. Um probably actually more like 19 or 20 but hey uh we don't need to inflate uh his rotten tomatoes ego more than it already is so um that that's such a low number i imagine that it's probably not real well received but 65 seems a little too low for me so i'm gonna say 66 in hopes of uh beating mike well, I want to preface the the answer by saying this. You know, this is the time that we talk box office. This movie cost 125 million to make. It grossed 760 million dollars. So, Mike, you said you remembered it not being well received. It was very well received, not by critics. Uh, Mike is actually going to win. I don't know if he can take the win. This is sitting at 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, what? you heard me. I did not stutter. 25. Is this Wait, wait. The... 25? Yes. That, the, same, uh, that... the same amount of times you've seen Red Eye? It, exactly that number. Um, this may be the lowest reviewed movie we've ever done. I know we hated Bad Boys, but I don't think it got down. The audience score is 57. So the audience score is a little closer to, to where we were at. But 25% on a $760 million gross movie. So we'll get it. I'm going to check the score for Bad Boys, but I'll get into it. And I'll ask you guys the question. We can extrapolate on it. That's definitely more than a $9 word. Sorry, Brad. Um, <laughs> 
is Rotten Tomatoes right? Let me ask you that, and then we'll get into it. But just your guys is I'm seeing shock on the Zoom here. But is Rotten Tomatoes correct? So I'm gonna I'm gonna say it this way. Uh, we off air talked a little bit about our rankings of these films, and I have uh, as far as our three threequel uh, rankings, I have this sitting at 29, much higher than uh, some of the others that we've done. I believe this is number 68. Um, well, 67 because 68 will be, uh, next week. But, uh, I, I'm thinking that after hearing that and after hearing some stuff from you guys a little bit earlier, I think that after this, I'm probably going to be lowering it, but I want to see what you guys have to say, uh, because I ranked this right after watching it. And I think maybe it was more about content than quality of content. So, um, I, I enjoyed the topic. I enjoyed the discussion that it created. Um, but maybe the film itself was, uh, I rated it too high simply because it was the vessel that delivered the topic. So, um, I'm interested to see what you guys have to say and I, I might be lowering it on my list. Well, I don't think it's a 25. Um, I do think this is a, a fairly flawed movie in some ways that, uh, it's probably pretty typical when you take a book like this and then try to straight do an ad- adaptation of it. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into to some of that a little bit more. So I don't think it's a strong movie. I think that it's an entertaining movie. It moves at a pretty decent pace. Um, honestly, if I was scoring it, I'd probably put it at about a 70. So uh, to, to, to see the fact that this is at a 25, when some of the movies we have seen that I would say are much more flawed than this, much less entertaining than this. So either way that you look, whether technically they weren't as good or entertainment wise, they weren't as good uh, that were rated so much higher than this. I, it's, it's befuddling to me, quite frankly, to see a score this low. I, I have a question, Mike, since you've read the book, does the book go as hard into the Jesus and Mary Magdalene? Like is the movie a pretty good representation of the book or is that, now, from, from what you can recall, it has been a while since I've read the book because I only, I only read it the once and it would have been before this movie came out. Um, but as I recall, I think the book actually goes harder on oh, that okay. than the movie does. I think that they toned the movie down fairly substantially um, from where Dan Brown was because um, the book got a lot of blowback also, which is why there was so much blowback against this movie. Um, from, you know, the Catholic Church and things of that nature. Uh, so, no, I don't think that they overplayed it. If anything, they they underplayed it to try to make it more mass marketable. Okay, because that, that I can see, right? Like, me personally, I, I, I'm not going to get offended by something like that. I can easily separate the fact that this is a movie, like, entertain me, and we can go from there. Like, I know, I don't, have either of you guys ever seen The Last Temptation of Christ? I have not. No, sir. I I know that one is like a, whoa, you're not allowed to do that. You can tell whatever story you want. I don't have to think that's true. I don't like that movie because I just don't think it's good. But I don't get offended by you're going to tell a story. Go for it. Tell a story. I I know what I believe. Like, do your thing. So that side of it is not why I don't enjoy this movie. Do you have a thought? Yeah, I do. Um, I think that... uh... I, I was not offended by the message either because I can separate what I consider fact from fiction. Um, and I know some listeners or people would probably scoff at the fact that I just called my belief in, in, 
Jesus Christ a fact, but that's just, you know, that's how I look at it. But um, the problem I had with it is (laughs) it's kind of silly, but I don't like that it was Tom Hanks chosen to deliver that message because he's such a beloved actor that I believe that some people look at that as more of like, well, if Tom Hanks agreed to do this and if Tom Hanks agreed to put this message across, then there might be some validity to it. And that's the part that bothers me is like, you know, if, if Paul, uh, how do you say it? Paul Bettany, is that how you say it? Like, had he been the lead in this rather than Tom Hanks, like, you know, to me, it's a much different message in a much different film. I find myself looking at Tom Hanks as like Fred Rogers, you know, after seeing this. And it's like if Fred Rogers is going to tell me that Jesus and Mary Magdalene had a relationship, like I'm going to believe it a few percentage points higher than if somebody I don't love and trust gave that message. So that's the part I struggled with is that it was Tom Hanks because I know how beloved he is. And I know that some people are going to take something that comes out of his mouth, even though it was written by somebody else as more valid. I'm glad you mentioned Tom Hanks. Cause I'll get, I haven't answered the question yet. I, do I think 25% is right? No, I don't. But I do think that the audience making this a rotten movie in the fifties, I think they are correct. Um, whether or not they're, you know, we have the same issues with it, whatever, what have you. Um, and a big part of that, I love Tom Hanks. I don't think he was anywhere near the right guy to be in this movie. I know him and Ron Howard have a relationship. And get, he was the wrong person to be leading this movie. Tom Hanks is not, in my opinion, the world traveling, you know, Indiana Jones-esque person. That's not who he's ever been. He is America's dad. And that's not who I needed for this. The other side of this um, the, the issue that I ended up having with this, uh, and I'll frame it in a question to you guys as we kind of talk about more and more of like some behind the scenes stuff too. Do you guys know what Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, A Beautiful Mind, Star Trek, and this have in common? Huh. Enter smart ass comment here. Um, <laughs> I don't have one, so I'm just going to say no. I, I have no idea. So what they have in common is a man named Akiva Goldsman. He wrote, now when I say Star Trek, I mean the modern Star Trek TV shows that you see commercials for on Paramount+. Plus. He wrote all of what I just said. So now frame it in the guy that wrote Batman and Robin and Batman Forever seemingly probably ron howard's buddy if he wrote a beautiful mind which won awards that's fine they give him this there has to be something that got lost in translation from the rabid fan base of dan brown had for the original book and what got put on screen and then we get led into tom hanks being cat there's there's just a lot of disconnect that i feel like i I don't think anybody was the right choice i don't think ron howard is the guy to direct Again, this type of movie. Because you mentioned Paul Bettany. That character I'm all in on. Like that like crazy, psychopathic, religious serial killer. That part of the movie I bought into. But he was not existing in the world that Tom Hanks was existing in, in my opinion, in this movie. And all of that disconnect just did not work for me. 
Well, in in some ways, then I I believe they got it right because I think Tom Hanks was trying to play the part as though I don't belong in this world. You know, this is not me. I'm I'm a scholarly guy, but I'm chosen to do this because this guy trusts me and believes I'm smart enough to figure this out. You know, like I think that's a a clear delineation. Like Paul Bettany shouldn't be in the same world as Tom Hanks because he was coming at it from a purely religious, I believe God sent me as his messenger sort of standpoint. And um, so I, I guess I'm glad there's that dif uh, differentiation between the two of them. But I completely agree with your uh, what you used to call on this, your thesis statement that Tom Hanks was the wrong actor for this. Like, uh, I, I, I thought that the whole time. Um, something just never sat right with me. Um, and it also took an edge off of this movie that I think should have been there. Like, I, I wish that if, if Mike's correct, if the book goes harder in the paint, I wish the movie would have gone harder in the paint. And I wish it would have been more, um, more demonic, more, uh, evil, more, you know, let's really see this spiritual warfare between good and evil here and, and see where it goes. Cause it's going to be <laughs> much more aggressive than what this movie put out there. Um, but then it also loses its mass marketability, as Mike was saying. Like they had to make this palatable for the masses, which that's what Ron Howard's great at. I mean, I'm sure that Ron Howard's a big reason why this made seven hundred million dollars. So, um, you know, they accomplished their goal if that's what they were going for. Yeah. So perhaps what we could say is right. This is this is maybe the one of the most successful unsuccessful movies um of the last 20 years um i agree with everything you guys are saying about uh, hanks being the wrong person i he stuck out like a sore thumb the first time i watched it he stuck out like a sore thumb this time i watched it um he just does not fit the flow and i do think you know having read the book it, i think that this is again a really hard book to to adapt because Brown writes it in such, like, as I recall, brief chapters, right? Short chapters that fly along, yet there is so much detail packed into it that you cannot possibly, uh, you know, convey in the movie because it would be way too much dialogue. You can't do it just by scene and what you're seeing. Um, and so there's a lot of detail that he puts in in terms of the research of, of where these locations are that can't be conveyed. And so it makes the book feel like a thriller. And so... Here is my hot take for you guys. Are you ready for this? I don't normally come with something like this, but the better version of this movie is National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I, that's not a hot take. That's so true. That's so I I kept not wanting to say National Treasure when I was looking for some type of comparison. You're a hundred percent right. But it's totally it's totally true. It is a better it is a better version of this movie because it is what it tries to be, and this movie is not what it tries to be. And the difference is in this movie cast Tom Hanks. It was trying to be more. That movie cast Nicolas Cage. It knew exactly what it was. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I can come around to agreeing with your hot take. However, I would say that, you know, uh, probably 99 times out of 100, if you ask me to sit down and watch one of those two movies, I'm going to pick National Treasure. It's it's fun. It's entertaining. Like you said, it is what it uh, tried to be, um, and this movie definitely is not. Um, but I don't know that I would call it better at, uh, I forget how, how you worded it, but um, 
you know, it is definitely very National Treasure-esque uh, or National treasure adjacent. as uh, I'll steal that word from some other people that use it. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I laughed because they're, they're both corny in ways. Um, but Nicolas Cage just, you know, he's got a way of taking that, that stuff over the top for sure. Well, and, and I think the biggest thing is just like, the level of fun I, I will have watching national treasure and do not disregard national treasure to the book of secrets. Um, I still believe that book exists. And if they ever make a national treasure three, even though Nick cage now apparently has a problem with Disney um, versus this, like I, I, I just wish I, I almost said it. What if Nick cage played the Robert Langdon role or, I mean, maybe not go that crazy yeah i know that's that's super crazy yeah, that that's just the, the fun in me but who i actually thought of like a serious thought at this time kind of the same age george clooney this is the time when george clooney was doing a michael clayton uh siriana up in the air he was doing some more serious and some darker stuff that's what would have taken this movie into cool now we can separate it from the other stuff because you've got i mean paul bettany is horrifying and the things he's doing to people are horrifying in this movie. I wish they would have just rolled into that. I wish they would have just made this like seven trekking across the world trying to solve a car, right? Like that, I, that was there. And I don't know, again, because I didn't read the book, you know, how much of that, if that was, they also went harder in the paint with that stuff. That's a more a movie I would have more enjoyed. Um, the real mystery to me is like, I mean, this became a three movie franchise, not a mystery that it got a sequel. I mean, it made three quarters of a billion dollars. Of course, it's going to get a sequel. But collectively, people hated this movie. They got the sequel. The sequel still made almost half a billion dollars. And it was a little more well received. Then finally, Inferno didn't make any money and got panned again. But it's weird how like we hate it. We hate it. We hate it. You're going to give us another one. We'll come back. Like usually that doesn't happen. I'm, I'm shocked that angels and demons made what it made with how poorly this was received, but I do enjoy angels and demons more. Well, I think happen. you, you said, right? Like it, it was poorly received everywhere except where it counted, which is the box office. It was such a huge success. And so even the rotten tomatoes fan score can only tell you so much. Now, it's possible maybe so many people marched out to the theater and walked away the way I did back then, which was fairly unimpressed. I don't know that I'll ever want to see that again until I was doing a podcast years later, obviously. Um, but still, I, three quarters of a billion dollars at that period of time, pretty good return on investment. Yeah, I guess. It, yeah, I'm not shocked that the second one got made. I'm shocked. I just pulled it up. It made four hundred and ninety billion, uh, billion, million dollars. That's what's surprising. That that many more people were like, well, we did hate that, but yeah, we'll go again. Um, that that's what's that's, shocking. That's exactly why Tom Hanks was cast in this because oh, people yeah. are going to go back again to see him, even if it's not the right role. Um, I was trying to think of some better people. I mean, I think even even Brad Pitt could have pulled this off because he can go to some places that uh, uh, with his acting range that would definitely have been um, the right sort of. Uh, piece for this for some reason um uh gary sinise popped in my head um i don't know enough really about his his uh, ability to 
to go there, but he's he's got a dark side and some things that he's done that I think could have fit well, and he wouldn't have been as uh, uh, you know well renowned or well known as Tom Hanks, um, you know. Who knows? Um, but yeah, definitely they picked the right guy to make the money. They did not pick the right guy to um, really make the point that the book uh, could have made. Um, but hey, it is what it is and we, we can't rewrite it. But I, I was going to say I'm upset that I picked this film because it clearly was as it could have been. But it's I think that's creating some good discussion here. Um, and I like, I like hearing some of your thoughts on this stuff. So, uh, I guess that's what it's really about. So, uh, sorry, not sorry for picking Da Vinci code. No, Hey, I mean, I've picked plenty of movies on this podcast. I'm always willing to talk about a movie, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. Your claim to fame is Hellboy and red eye and mine's a uh, election. And I don't know who picked bad boys, but, uh, someone's gonna have to take credit for that. I, one. I think we all did. I I, I genuinely <laughs> remember that being like a yeah, bad boys. We need a group pick. Let's let's just do that. Oh yeah, that was uh, that's cringy for sure. I do think we all have to take that one on the chin. I do think you're right. It was a group pick, and that I don't think that led to any good discussion. That just led to um, some tears and some anger, and you know. It even it even destroyed Taya Leone for me. Like I had Taya Leone in this like fond memory, good actress, good movies, you know, attractive, fun, all of these things. And like, yeah, Bad Boys even kind of took that away. So screw you, Bad Boys. Always find a way to crap on Michael Bay. Honestly, what the trajectory of like these movies? Don't tell us about your Friday nights, Ethan. Oh no. No. Um, (laughs) I got him. No, I was thinking uh, it it made me think of Transformers movies, though. Like the first Transformers, all the Transformers movies constantly, people are like, this sucks. Stop it. Stop it. Michael Bay puts out another one and it makes another billion dollars. So it's, you know, if you get the right fandom and you give them the right property, it does not matter the quality. Star Wars proved that with the sequel movies, right? Like, if you slap the name on something, it doesn't matter if you tank it. And if people hate it, they'll go back. And this is just have the right fever. Well, I think also part of that is what was the name that was slapped on this? It wasn't just Tom Hanks. It was also the fact that Dan Brown and and those books were very successful. And also... Da Vinci Code was extremely successful. Angels and Demons, extremely successful. By Inferno, less successful. And so the popularity of these movies almost followed the popularity of his book releases. He went from being the biggest, newest thing on the scene to being obsolete in the same way that those movies did. And he had a fourth book, I think, that got released, and that one didn't get moved over to to, to movie. But also it, it flopped compared to the other books you you get the right book and that's why i mean movie studios are constantly flipping through what are popular books and get it if something ends up on the new york times bestseller list there's a studio calling the author because if you get the right following of book readers even though 50 percent of them are walking into the theater assuming they'll hate the movie anyway because the movie you know movie will never be as good as the book um try reading forrest gump and tell me that no movie is better than the book um but 
you get that right crowd and, and, and something is, is always going to take off. There's one coming out in a couple months uh, where the crawdads swim or where they sing or so, something like that. Never heard of it. I have no idea what it is. As soon as the preview came out and all of a sudden book readers are hitting, like blowing it up on, t- that's going to be one of the highest selling, like highest grossing dramas of the year. Because it's a book thing and you get those fans and I mean movie studios are smart for a reason. Like this this movie had to get made and they almost cashed a billion. So can't blame mm-hmm. them for that. Uh let's talk positives, guys. Let's just let's roll it into favorite scene. What what was it? Where in this movie did you guys find the most joy? What what brought out uh the, the best moments for you here in the Da Vinci Code? Uh for me it was actually um when uh ian mckellen was at the the in his home and uh kind of describing the uh the last supper painting and how he uh described what the holy grail was and all of that like it was just very interesting it was it was thought provoking and i enjoyed watching uh hanks and mckellen uh play off each other in that scene um just yeah very very good so that was that was my favorite part of the of the film for sure i hate to do this because it always feels like a cop-out but brad you absolutely just took mine um i completely agree with you and so what i'm actually going to do rather than try to come up with a second favorite scene is just expound on it and say i think that ian mckellen was the best casting in this and was probably the truest to what felt like the characters in the book um and really did a spectacular job with that role uh and particularly with like the the heel turn right Uh, i feel like it was it was fairly well hidden you you kind of suspected it so you weren't shocked when it hit but it still felt out of place um i think it was good casting with him but also just a great job in that scene in particular um to to really play up that academic um approach to it and uh, to to kind of be educating the audience. And what I would say for you guys, having not read the book, is that is probably the closest to what the book felt like reading it at its best, where it felt like you were being drawn into history, being educated on all this stuff, um, but in an accessible way. Well, uh, because I don't want to pick a different scene, I'll expound even further on that scene. <laughs> can't mike you did it i mean that's the scene that that is like again like i said the rest of this there's so many moments that i want to love um some of the later scenes again with paul bettany it's like this is some gnarly like really awesome like thriller terrorist and robert langdon just walked back in so it, it is that scene that that's the best scene for me did any lines stand out for you guys anything any quotes or anything that that stuck with you through this rewatch for me, the only one that made me uh, chuckle enough to remember it was when they were talking about the symbol for phalluses, and then they made the comment about how, and I don't have this memorized right, but how it's on military uniforms. Um, and they said something like, you know, men always just trying to have more there. Mm-hmm. So that that entire dialogue I found kind of humorous. I think it was something like the, the more penises you have, the higher ranking you are. I think, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So neither of you are going to quote the greatest line of this movie, huh? Like you're just going to go just gloss over it like that? Well, I didn't have one. So uh, please enlighten me on what the greatest line of this, uh, what this film is or produced. I just 
don't know how to speak right now. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. That that was the greatest line. <laughs> that, that's uh, it would it would have it would have been the greatest line word in this movie. In fact, this movie could have probably moved up in the critic score at least twenty percent had they just interjected randomly Nick Cage in the middle of this movie saying that line and then he walks off screen. One hundred percent. What if they had a scene in this film where Tom Hanks stole the Mona Lisa? Like, would that have made it better for you? So much better. Absolutely. Especially oh if he declared it ahead of time. I'm going to steal the Mona Lisa. Yes. Oh, that would have been so perfect. Uh, what what wasn't perfect was this movie, but like Brad said, it did give us a lot of good conversation, and we always enjoy that. And that will wrap up our conversation of the Da Vinci Code. Next week, uh, we're shifting gears really back into that more summer blockbuster action side of things, uh, into that '90s action with Twister. Uh, so that'll be next week. This week was the Da Vinci Code. And other than that, guys, for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan. We'll see you next time. <laughs>